Should you or should you not teach yoga for free? This question touches on some deep cultural and familial programming. And it also invites us to really examine our values, our priorities, and even our reasons for teaching yoga. So because of that, I think it's a good idea to contemplate this question ahead of time. Because when you're asked to teach for free, you don't always have the space or the bandwidth to do all this deeper contemplation. You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. I've often heard karma yoga described as selfless service, and this definition has been exploited in the past to extract free labor in service of somebody else's profit or somebody else's benefit. Some common examples of this is senior teachers who don't pay their assistants or studios who get people to clean for free or even teach for free. In these situations, the concept of karma yoga is getting co-opted in self-serving ways that are divorced from the fuller context of the teachings. I also hear vestiges of some of these expectations from well-meaning yoga teachers who really take on personally the responsibility for making yoga accessible without an awareness of the limitations of their own resources and position. Let's examine the teaching of karma yoga in a little bit more detail to understand what's missing when we just say karma yoga is selfless service. Karma yoga is work without expectation of results as a path to moksha or liberation. So with this fuller definition, we have to understand moksha, and moksha is part of a framework called the purush artas, the four aims of life. They include arta, kama, dharma, and moksha. Arta is means or resources. Kama refers to pleasure or joy, as in the Kama Sutra. Now, just to be super clear, since this is an audio format, Kama is spelled K-A-M-A, and it means pleasure, while Karma, spelled K-A-R-M-A, refers to the principle of cause and effect, and in this context, the cause of working without expectation leading to an experience of liberation or freedom. So these are similar but very different words, kama and karma. So we have arta, kama, dharma, which is actions that are in alignment with the natural laws of the universe. You may have heard the term dharma used to describe a calling, but the actual meaning is broader. Any action in alignment with the workings of the universe is dharma. And finally, moksha is liberation or freedom. And it refers to transcendence or self-realization that occurs upon death or in moments of greater perspective of our place in the universe, depending on the school of thought that you're studying. Now, moksha is the overarching aim of this framework. So it holds a special place within the framework. Taken together, these four aims of life create a pretty balanced and nuanced description of human needs. So it's important to note that each of these aims is always in relationship to the others. So for example, kama or pleasure 
means, a pleasure that doesn't rob you of your means, is in alignment with the workings of the universe and doesn't prevent your liberation. Likewise, when we are working to acquire arta or resources, we want to do so in a way that will not detract from the other aims, etc., etc. So looking at the full framework of these teachings, in order to pursue karma yoga, we have to have the resources to do so, and it also needs to not rob us of our joy. So this means we can measure the appropriateness of the specific path that we're looking at taking for our own situation and notice, is this going to rob me of the resources I need to live? Am I able to experience pleasure and joy along the way? Now, this is a little bit nuanced because the path of karma yoga is pursuing work without expectation of results. So if we're on the right track, we will experience positive feelings along the way, but we also recognize them as fleeting and we're not trying to hang on to or create a particular configuration of these feelings. So joy and pleasure are important, but we are holding them loosely and we're using them as guideposts that we're on the right path rather than the end in and of themselves within the context of this term, karma yoga. So if we take karma yoga outside of this context, it can be misleading at best or at worst harmful and even exploitative. First of all, it can lead to feelings of guilt or not enoughness in people who are already more stressed and overwhelmed. Karma yoga might not be the right path for people who don't already have adequate resources to support themselves. But the way that I've heard karma yoga taught most frequently without this context can lead people to feel pressured to donate their time even when it doesn't feel good or right or sustainable for them to do so. Even worse, it increases inequality by providing more advancement opportunities to those who are in a position to donate time. Consider the example of the senior teacher who doesn't pay their assistants. The only people who can afford to follow their teacher around to assist them for free are the ones who have more resources already. These people get more face time with their teacher and become known among their other students. Then they're more likely to hear about and be selected for paid teaching opportunities. This is very similar to other careers where people who can afford to work for free take on prestigious internships, while those who have fewer resources to begin with have to take a job that pays, even if it's not a great fit for them or their goals. So here's the crazy thing. My experience is that the people who feel most responsible for fixing inequality, for making yoga accessible and equitable, tend to be the people who are already overburdened with responsibility and under-resourced. Privilege often is invisible to the privileged. Those who have it just don't see the problem or they don't see any way that they could help improve it. This means that the yoga teachers who are living paycheck to paycheck agonize over making yoga financially accessible while at the same time driving beat up cars, delaying their dental cleanings, and teaching even when they're sick. So part of the reason I wanna have this conversation is I want yoga teachers to make better decisions about when, where, and how much to teach that comes from a more realistic understanding of their circumstances and their responsibilities, rather than taking on the concept of karma yoga in a vacuum. In order to make better decisions about whether or not to teach for free, it's helpful to get clear on the role that teaching yoga 
plays in your life in relationship to artha, kama, dharma, and moksha. Most yoga teachers approach their teaching from one of these three perspectives as either a side hustle, a career, or service work. I don't believe that one of these approaches is better than another, but I do believe that one might be better for you right now and that examining the four aims can help us figure that out. You might also be thinking, well, it's a combination of these two. And that's totally fine, but get clear on which is your top priority, which is number one, because otherwise there will be times when there's tension between them, and that's going to make it harder for you to make good decisions. You may have in the past heard a version of this framework, hobby, business, or charity, but I changed these a little bit. The word hobby implies an activity that's really self-focused, meaning done for your pleasure alone, and yoga teachers... I think, don't relate to the casual implications of the word hobby. Whatever their approach to teaching, they take it very seriously, and they tend to invest a lot of time, energy, and even financial resources into developing their teaching skills. The word business brings to mind slimy sales techniques and money as the primary purpose of the work. Pretty much every yoga teacher you talk to will tell you that there is a feeling of purpose to their teaching that is much more important than money. Yet many really do need to earn some or all of their means for survival through their teaching. Part of my work on this podcast has been to push back against the resistance to the word business, not because I think that yoga teachers should try to use their teaching as a way to make money necessarily, but because I think that learning and studying business principles with an open mind can help us make our teaching more sustainable over the long run And the structured mindset needed for business provides a really good balance to the type of person that's often attracted to yoga. People who feel like they don't fit in with the dominant culture, who can't imagine spending their days just trying to make money. So from that population, we have this really wonderful emphasis on intuition, compassion, and service, which are needed important qualities. But if they're not supported by strong boundaries and clear intention, it's difficult to survive, and much less thrive in this culture. Finally, the word charity conjures up images of a largely symbolic transfer from wealthy to poor. And yoga teachers are mostly working to move away from that kind of vertical model of relationships. So because these words, hobby, business, and charity, don't quite fit with teaching yoga, I'm going with side hustle, career, or service work. And I'll start by defining each one in relationship to the others. One thing that pretty much all yoga teachers have in common is that they consider their teaching to be a sacred calling and a way to make a positive impact in the world. So no matter which of these three approaches you take to your teaching, there's meaning and purpose at the core. So as I describe these different approaches, keep that in mind that all three of them include a desire to spend time doing something that contributes to your community. A side hustle is an activity that's designed to earn money, but isn't expected to cover all your living expenses. Yoga teachers who approach their teaching as a side hustle might have a full-time job on top of teaching. They might have children that they receive some support to care for, or perhaps retirement income from a previous career. They might also have a complementary skill set that also earns money, like massage therapy. In contrast, if you approach your teaching as a career, You're trying to make it the primary source of your financial means. At the start of your career, there might be a time when you're not yet doing so. 
So you might supplement your teaching income with something else like waiting tables, but in your mind, the waiting tables would be the side hustle. The goal would be to eventually let go of that less fulfilling work and focus most of your time and energy and receive most of your income from teaching yoga. Finally, there are people who teach yoga primarily as service work. They're making a conscious decision to not use their teaching as part of their income-generating activity. There's some overlap here with people who see their teaching as a side hustle. The big difference between teaching as a side hustle and teaching as service work is your relationship to getting paid. Someone who approaches their teaching as a side hustle might feel conflicted about teaching for free because they really want or need to be paid for their time. Someone who approaches their teaching primarily as service work isn't going to take financial compensation into account when offered a teaching opportunity because getting compensated is just not part of the equation. Now, it's true that yoga teachers in any of these three categories might spend most or even all or even more than all the money they earn teaching yoga on yoga trainings, especially in the beginning. But those who teach a service work can do this indefinitely without a feeling of inner conflict, whereas those who see teaching as a side hustle or a career eventually do need to see a profit from their teaching in order to feel like the teaching is successful. So let's examine these three approaches now within the framework of the Purush Artas. The experience of teaching as Dharma and Kama is universal to these three approaches. Teaching yoga feels meaningful to yoga teachers. It feels like a way to make a positive impact in the world. It aligns with your strengths and your interests. It is enjoyable. It makes you feel good. The ways that the three approaches differ is in the balance between the different aims. If you approach teaching as a side hustle, it means that you're hoping for your teaching to at least contribute to your resources without obviously overly draining your joy in life. If you approach your teaching as a career, you are hoping that teaching will provide most or all of your resources for living. If you approach your teaching as service, you have other ways to get your basic needs met, and you are going to really just focus on teaching yoga for joy and fulfillment and not worry about getting your means for living from your teaching. If you can get clear on which of these categories most closely aligns with your motivations for teaching, it's going to simplify your decision-making process when you're evaluating different opportunities. If teaching is your side hustle, then one place that you have to consider is how much time do you actually have to devote to this particular activity? If teaching is your career, then you'll probably have to take on more of the less joyful aspects, the less enjoyable aspects of running a business in order to make it sustainable. So in this situation, ARTA or resources become more important than kama or pleasure. And if your teaching is primarily for service, then you can ignore a lot of the advice out there about building a yoga business and instead measure your teaching opportunities based more on kama, more on joy and fulfillment. Teaching yoga as a side hustle might be the best option if you like to keep your options open and want to protect the importance of your personal practice. So you don't want to drain too much of the potential joy from your relationship to yoga. It also might be a better approach if you want to spend more time teaching and less time marketing, meaning that because you have other ways to earn money, 
you're going to take on the opportunities that work for you, but not feel too stressed about creating opportunities that haven't been presented to you. Teaching yoga as a career might be best if you are absolutely obsessed with yoga and can't think of anything you'd rather spend your time thinking about and working on. For those who want to teach yoga as a career, it's vital to have a super strong relationship to your personal practice because thinking of your teaching as a career is going to test that relationship. You need to be willing to experience more discomfort and learn things that are not teaching and studying yoga, but will contribute to your ability to turn it into a career. A sustainable yoga career rarely manifests organically the way a side hustle can. Generally, you have to be willing to apply logic and strategy to take risks and to step way outside of your comfort zone. And your relationship to your practice has to stay front and center in order for a career teaching yoga to have integrity. Teaching a service is best for those who want to keep their relationship to yoga and to their own practice less complicated and also have the means to live without needing to bring in income from their teaching. This is not an option available to everyone. If teaching a service is something that you wish you could do, but you can't at this time, you could teach as a side hustle with a focus on the opportunities that fuel joy. Perhaps you can shift more and more into a service approach later in life. If you are in a position to teach primarily as service, this doesn't mean that you shouldn't charge for your services. In fact, it might be just the opposite. Consider that by not charging or by charging less than the going rate, less than what other teachers who need to make a living are charging, there are people who might choose to work with you based solely on price and whose expectations about what is reasonable to pay for yoga is going to be based on that subsidized rate, that rate subsidized by your other resources. If you have the means to teach a service, do your best to provide free services only when the people receiving them truly can't afford to pay. And of course, there's so much gray area here. It's not always clear who can afford what. But the invitation here is if you're in a position of privilege, wield that privilege with as much awareness as possible and consider actions that are going to bolster opportunities for teachers who have less means than you as part of your karma yoga. Karma yoga could mean so many different things. Sometimes it might mean teaching yoga without asking for compensation. Other times it might mean recommending a friend for a paid teaching position because you don't need the pay, and they do. Any action without attachment to the outcome of that action can be karma yoga. So the invitation here is to expand your concept of what karma yoga might look like for you, especially if you have more resources, more security, more means. This episode has been challenging to create because there's so much nuance to cover. I really wanna emphasize an approach of curiosity and acceptance of imperfection and complexity. Yes, we're aiming towards skillful action, but let's think of it as an ideal to guide us rather than an achievable goal. We've been given this precious life without any guarantees, except that we will mess it up and it will end. We make the most of it by working for improvement instead of perfection. 
because perfectionism will drain the joy, the kama, the pleasure from our teaching and from our lives. Choose your approach to teaching based on what will best support you to stay balanced between the four aims of life. Do your best right now, and as your circumstances change, re-examine your approach. Should you teach for free? That's for you to decide based on your specific circumstances. If you're currently lacking in resources, it's totally okay, and it may be more in alignment with Dharma for you to decline. If you do have ample resources, consider the implications of teaching for free beyond just your own circumstances and weigh the ways that your teaching for free might cause benefit as well as harm. No matter what decision you make, somebody's going to disagree with you. Somebody's going to think it wasn't the right decision. There are no paths in this world that cause zero harm. Our work is just to cause less harm as we know how and are able. And to me, this is the beauty of the yoga system because it holds this multifaceted view of the world while also providing a framework for improvement and growth. Thank you for listening and thank you for taking on these more complicated and nuanced inquiries about what it means to be a yoga teacher and how to do it in the way that is most skillful.